So who do we trust, huh? Like always, me and Dee. Welcome to Me and Thee and Three, a Starsky and Hutch fan podcast. I'm Monica. I'm Jen. And I'm Rachel. And uh, we... Today's opening question. (laughs) (laughs) We watch Starsky and Hutch. We watch Starsky and Hutch and talk about it. Do we? Do we? No, we don't. I think think we actually just like stare blankly at a microphone. We're three (laughs) friends on a sectional with thoughts about Starsky and Hutch. That is correct. Soon it'll be a new sectional. Yeah. Three (laughs) friends on a sort of ratty sectional who love Starsky and Hutch. Who also should be on a ratty sectional. I feel like their ready sectional is every car Hutch has. Mm. Yeah. Our opening question today... Are you laughing at me? <laughs> I am, because like we sounded so professional in the first few episodes, and now we're just a disaster. <laughs> but now I know Rachel can really make us sound smooth <laughs> and, and coherent when we really aren't in real life. Mm. <laughs> She'll cut out a bunch of that. I don't know if she will. I think she's going to leave it all in just to embarrass us. Not all of it. Not all of it. Our opening question today is, in what way would you like to genre swap Starsky and Hutch? Basically, it's a cop show, a buddy cop show to be specific, but how could you take the stories or the characters of the show and put it in a completely different genre? Rachel, would you like to go first? All right. This might not be completely different, but I would like to see... The superhero spin of Starsky and Hutch. Uh, I basically mash up in my head Marvel comics of the 70s and Starsky and Hutch all the time, so why not just go further and let's have a proper Starsky and Hutch show set in a superhero world. I haven't decided whether I want them to be superheroes, but they could maybe have secret powers. But something along that line I would really, really dig. What kind of superpowers would Starsky and Hutch potentially have? Ooh, I don't know. That's the hard part. I think Hutch could make plants grow. Oh my god, yes. He's He's Layla from Sky High! Well, I was going to say Poison Ivy, but I mean, Layla works too. (laughs) Let's face it, he's more like Layla than Poison Ivy. (laughs) What would Starsky do then? Maybe he has a telepathic link with his Torino. <gasps> oh, I know. Yeah, he, um, maybe, maybe there's a slight, um, technological, technomancer. There we go. That's what people He does say. love his high-tech watches. Yeah, he's got a tech, so yeah, technomancer. Or, or, like, he has a giant hammer and a psych degree and is the Harley Quinn to Hush's <laughs> Poison Ivy. I would watch that as well. <laughs> Starsky can come off as a little deranged. It's that true. Could, that could work pretty well. He could pull it off. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Jen, what would your genre swap be? 
Well, I do love superheroes, but Rachel stole that. So I'm going to go with my other favorite, very specific uh, entertainment genre and say musicals. I feel like Starsky and Hutch the musical would be something I would devour. I don't know if I'm thinking like a weekly cop rock style. I feel like that might not work, but maybe just like cop rock. Yeah, it's a show. Cop Rock was a television show that was a musical, a weekly original musical that was also a police procedural. It was notoriously terrible and canceled very quickly. When What era was this? Like the early 90s, I want to say, oh, or late 80s? That sounds correct. Yeah. Uh, that's okay. Uh, Kate, our, our friend from the wonderful podcast, Worst Bestsellers, that you should all listen to, um, she also did not believe that Cop Rock was a real thing, and she loves both musicals and police procedurals and she couldn't believe it existed and she'd never heard of it so this is not an uncommon thing but anyway this would be better than cop rock the songs would be better and i would just want like a major starsky and hutch musical and not done as a joke i would want it to be a legitimately structured musical and black bean soup could make an appearance at some point i hope so but it would also have a lot of original songs that are not David Souls. And also they would be in love, but that's my default for all versions of Starsky and Hutch in my head. Well, I think I would like to see Starsky and Hutch done as sort of a post-apocalyptic or dystopian near future, slight sci-fi elements. But I think it would be cool to see all the, like, quirky, colorful characters of Bay City kind of having to team up to survive. Or maybe make something a little more outright sci-fi. I think you could just do a lot of cool, like, nods, like the striped tomato, but as a hover car. Or... (laughs) I'm not thinking zombies. I think zombies have just been overdone. But some kind of external threat that could... Make all of the characters, you know, be banded together against it. Are we thinking like repressive police state dystopia where Starsky and Hutch were part of this force but realized that they couldn't oh. morally stick with it and now are renegade former cops? I hadn't been thinking about it, but that is an interesting thought. And I think it would be interesting to, especially if it was like a first half season arc of them like breaking away and getting new identities that could be pretty cool you know rachel you mentioned starsky and hutch and superheroes and i feel like we watched something recently that combined those two factors really did we you know i I think we did just a few minutes ago in fact indeed I, i think it might have been about 10 minutes ago we just finished watching cw's black lightning uh, we had not previously seen any episodes, and we watched... Episode 5. Yeah, which had a guest appearance by Antonio Fargus. And he had an amazing bow tie and glasses and was a distinguished uh, newspaper editor who knew things. And I think that Antonio Fargus must always play characters who just know everything. You just you go to Antonio Fargus when you need information. I want Antonio Vargas to be the voice of Siri. Oh my god. That'd be amazing. (laughs) That'd be pretty cool. He's been in a lot of stuff. 
And actually, I wanted to talk um, a little bit about some of his roles uh, from the 70s that I stumbled across. I have not seen these movies, admittedly, but I found it really interesting. Okay, let me back up, and this is a whole story and process of how I discovered this. <laughs> so let's, let's go all the way back to December when I was looking for, or maybe January, and I was looking for a calendar for work. <laughs> and I found the Glorious 70s calendar, that's what it's called, the Glorious 70s, and it had a month, which happened to be March, that was Starsky and Hutch. Unfortunately, it only had Hutch, so I had to print out a little picture of Starsky, one that featured his princess eyes, and then paste it on. But well, it's mustache Hutch! Yeah, so? It's good you put Starsky on that calendar, Hutch would have been lonely. Exactly. It's not Starsky and Hutch without both of them. But in the process of f looking for this photo, I stumbled across an interview with Antonio Fargus that Gay City News did, and they were discussing queer roles that he had played in the 1970s. One of them, I, I believe he was playing a gay man in Next Stop Greenwich Village, which incidentally had has a Jeff Goldblum in it. Oh. Really? Yeah. <laughs> that was 1976. Um, also that year, and this is uh, largely what I wanted to talk about, there was a movie called Car Wash. Now, this movie was written by Joel Schumacher. That's promising. <laughs> <laughs> now, let me, let, me, let me totally, let me, you know, get through the whole story. I found an article on theroot.com, which detailed an episode of Unsung Hollywood, which is a TV1 series, Unfortunately, I was unable to find the episode itself, but in this episode, they discussed Car Wash, and they discussed that the director, Michael Schultz, actually had a big impact on rewriting the script, and in fact, this movie actually had quite a critical reception because it was nominated and actually won a couple awards at the Cannes Film Festival, and it was nominated for the Palme d'Or, which it did not win, but it was nominated, so like it was actually a pretty big deal artistically during the year. And Antonio Fargus in it, he plays a character called Lindy, and she's a beauty school student. And she works, she's a member of the car wash, and the Gay City News described her as a drag queen, not having seen the movie, and of course it being 40 years old, I don't know how she might identify today, or how she identifies in the movie. But it was really interesting because she has this really iconic line, which I'd heard before, but I did not know was from Car Wash. And the line is, I'm more man than you'll ever be and more woman than you'll ever get. Which I knew I'd heard before, but I could only trace to being referenced in Rent. It is referenced in Rent. I was just about to say that. Yeah, and but I'm sure I've heard it elsewhere. But like, because I didn't know that that was a reference to this movie and specifically a role that Antonio Fargus played. So I thought that was really awesome. Huh. I might have to check that out. I'd That's be up really for watching it. Yeah, and it's uh, it, the movie itself is just really interesting. It's got um, it's got the Pointer Sisters. It's got Richard Pryor and George Carlin. It seems like it's an interesting movie. It's it's an ensemble piece. So you know that'll be interesting is that to watch. Where that song comes from the song Car Wash. Yeah, I think so. So it's really interesting that like at the same time that he was playing. Huggy Bear, he was filming these movies as well, because, you know, 1976, that was exactly when Starsky and Hutch was, you know, in its prime. 
So. Well, no wonder Sturski and Hutch just assumed he'd know Sugar's address. Exactly. It's true. This this definitely contextualizes some things. So yeah, I just thought that was that was well, really cool. While we're on the topic of queer scenes in the 70s, I did get some more reels of microfilm of The Advocate in. So I was browsing through it today. And although I'm just very interested in the history, so I'm, I'm looking for anything, I was certainly keeping my eyes open for any mentions of the actor who played Sugar or any reactions to Death in a Different Place, although I didn't get as far as 1978. But I actually uh, was scrolling through and saw Paul Michael Glazer's name. It was kind of disappointing, though, but I will mention it, just because it might be of interest, that this was in an issue from January in 1977, and all it said was, Television stars Cindy Williams, Laverne and Shirley, and Paul Michael Glazer, Starsky and Hutch, have allowed stardom to make their hats too small for their heads. Could it be that they both hate their same gender co-stars? And I think, as we all know, no, at least in Paul Michael Glazer's case, he doesn't hate his co-star. They're flirting on Twitter, apparently. <laughs> and I'd heard that the media, like, was really harsh on um, Starsky and Hutch in many ways, but I hadn't actually seen any evidence of it because most of the newspaper clippings I've seen online about Starsky and Hutch are for fans, so it's uh, showing them in as good a light as possible. So this was the first time I came across a newspaper that was uh, very critical of, well, Paul Michael Glazer. So it's kind of interesting to see. And I'm glad that it's not true. What's this Twitter thing? I Monica saw this, so Monica can convey the Twitter interaction. Oh, the... PMG and David Soul were flirting on Twitter a couple days, like what? a week ago. <laughs> Wait, what? Old men on Twitter. Do you want me to look it up right now and tell you? Yes. yes. Okay. And everyone on the Facebook group already knows about it because that's where I learned it. Learned about it from. I am not on Twitter at all, so I don't keep up with the the tweets. But I feel like Rachel finds out about something in real time on the podcast is our best segment. That's true. <laughs> Rachel's reactions to news are delightful. So let me just scroll back a little. There's some nice pictures on this. Uh. The people on Facebook have good aesthetic. I found I found the tweets. If, if, okay. But cool. Monica, if you want to do the, the honors of reading it, or I can. You, it doesn't you matter. can. Okay. Oh, I just found it too. So we had, we had pretty good uh, timing, but you go. So uh, apparently there's... Actors are going to be appearing um, at a, a convention later this year. And David Soul tweeted, Hey all, my boss is on my case again to share this with you because I'm late doing it. She forgets I'm going to be 75 this year and the old brain ain't what it used to be. I need to be treated delicately. Ha ha ha. So very old man tweet. Um, and then it's a link to the Starsky and Hutch reunion in 2018, which is apparently this con event. And then Paul Michael Glazer replies... I'll be 75 before you, old man. And don't you go expecting any delicate treatment from me. Oh my god! And that was in quotes. Delicate. And then David Russell replies, From you, I like it rough. Fuck! Winky emoji. Oh my god! Oh my god! Yeah, so... The, oh my god. They're playing right into our their fans' hands. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah! <laughs> yeah, they are. They know. They know everything. Oh god! <laughs> Wow, okay, I need to, like, go and, like, screenshot these and, like, keep them forever in my heart. 
they don't have blue Ooh. check marks, but like I mean, the the number of followers they appear to be real Twitter accounts. And the Facebook group, uh, because there is like a fake Paul Michael Glazer Twitter that sometimes replies to David Soul, and but the people on the group know what it is, so they always like fact check that. Nice. Oh, well, that's good. <laughs> wow. Okay. So you are like it rough. <laughs> well, thanks for your headcanon, David Soul. <laughs> I mean, I, I've read some fic. <laughs> well, it sounds like they have too. <laughs> well, okay. That made my night. <laughs> How did we even get there? I don't even remember why I mentioned I it. What were you talking about? I was talking about The Advocate. Yeah, yeah. Right. And you mentioned on Twitter. Right, that right, flirting. right. To prove that they obviously are still friends. That yes. they, they voluntarily interact with each other. And are fond. But I know, you know, everyone knows that late in the production of Starsky and Hutch, there was a lot of a drama on the set and just a lot of discontent, especially on Paul Michael Glazer's part. So if that's what the advocate was getting wind of, it makes sense. And whatever was going down at the time has certainly been repaired in the years since. So it's still it's still unfortunate that, that that's the only reference you've found so far on the advocate, but... I think it's okay. I mean, it's... I don't expect to see a lot about it in The Advocate, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know if that's obvious. I, I, I do feel like it had its queer fan base at the time, so... I've, I've heard that. Yeah, I'm gonna be curious to see if I find more mentions of it. I hope so. That'd be gold. And I think I can suss out a segue here. The episode Dandruff. <laughs> So here's another sort of queer link to Starsky and Hutch because it's an episode where Hutch is undercover as an almost impossible to deny gay hairdresser, although it's hard to say for sure. Rachel had seen it a few months ago and Jen and I only saw it for the first time just last week. So uh, I'd be interested to hear... I know this episode is pretty polarizing because its tone is very different from most Starsky and Hutch episodes. Jen, do you have any thoughts? It was weird. It was... I I still don't know what to make of it. Like, this was apparently a hair salon where all of the stylists were expected to service the female clients in any way that they wanted to in their personal hotel rooms. And... The fact that Hutch's undercover identity is very clearly coded as gay seems to make him only more appealing to the women who are paying for his services. Because I'm pretty sure he hooks up with more women and at more length than Starsky does, even though Starsky's disguise is more, like, hyper-heterosexual. So, I I don't even know. I don't understand how this hotel functions. I don't understand how it's... It's weird. It's really... I, the wig. I just... I have a lot of feelings, negative ones, about the wig that Hutch is wearing. Because I'm like, if you're a gay hairdresser, you should be displaying what you can give to others. And why why do you look like someone's grandmother? I, I don't... Uh, you look like... He looks like the big bad wolf when he like puts on a wig to pretend to be Little Red Riding Hood's grandma. I don't know. I feel that it looks very high fashion. Whereas, like, his long 
kind of often styled grossly normal hair in season four is not at all appealing. So I think the wig actually as like a high fashion statement is much better than his natural hair. But why is it gray? Because. See, and I didn't even, I thought it was platinum blonde. I didn't really think it was gray. It read as, I mean, maybe it was just the color on our TV, but it read as gray. And as far as I know, gray hair has only been trendy in the last couple of years. Well, everything old is new again. I don't know. I mean, again, I don't even think it was supposed to be gray. It was certainly gray-ish. I don't know. It's just it's just really unfortunate looking. And I, I don't understand. However, Crown Prince Huggy was amazing. Rachel, let's hear some of your thoughts. I loved this episode. So, okay. While polarizing, <laughs> we are a microchasm. <laughs> A microchasm? A oh. small chasm? <laughs> we're a micro... Shoot, what's chasm? the... Chasm? Microchasm. Oh, okay. Yeah, you were close. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have made fun of you. No. But I like the idea of a very small Grand Canyon. <laughs> well, our listeners don't know this, but you didn't know how to pronounce Segway. <laughs> the- wow. This is just kind of vicious. <laughs> you know what? It's true. It's true. Over the course of this podcast, I learned that I was uh, pronouncing Segway incorrectly. I was always spelling it uh, correctly, but when I said it out loud, I said Seg. And that, my friends, is what happens (laughs) when you learn words because you read them rather than from hearing them out loud. (laughs) Sorry, Rachel, go on. Oh, well. We fell into a microchasm in the conversation. (laughs) Maybe we can... Seg our way back. <laughs> I think you can ride segways around the Grand Canyon. <laughs> I'm shaking my head at you. <laughs> Rachel, sorry. You bring have feelings. A, bring us yeah, back, okay. Rachel. Well, I mean, obviously, Huggy's undercover work is the best thing in the world, and really, they should just like bring in Huggy all the time. Because, like, he's great, and I love him so much. And I was really pleased that he had such a big role in this and such an important role because he was the one who got the diamonds out safely. And then, of course, we have Rene Auberginois in it, which was awesome. Like, I hadn't known he was in it, so I heard his voice, and I was like, wait, wait a minute. And then I saw his face, and I was like, I mean, he was quite younger than I've seen him recently, obviously. So it took me a... And with a lot more hair. So it took me a moment, and then he spoke again, and then I was like, oh my god, it is! So that was awesome. I really love their undercover personas just because they're so ridiculous. Like, and I love that, like, Starsky, like, commits to it so hardcore that he just, like, affects his accent and has decided, as part of his undercover, that he's going to be obsessed with the stepladder. (laughs) And it's just beautiful. And I'm like, this makes no sense, Starsky. Why would you do that? Except it's, like, a weird character thing and... You know, they get bored sometimes on undercover jobs, so I'm sure it was very fun. And it just overall was just such a fun, light episode, you know? And, like, it's a good heist episode, too. Like, that's the thing, because they are on homicide, most of their cases deal with death. So it was really nice to have, like, a heist episode. I overall am not too much into the wacky humor aspect of it, but I admit there were a couple scenes I quite liked. The scene where Hutch and a customer are making out hardcore behind a door, 
and three people walk by and are able to kind of peer at them through the crack between the wall and the door and all stop to watch, just obviously entertained by watching two people get it on. And um, also the scene where a husband catches (laughs) his wife and Hutch uh, making out and Hutch is kind of scared and trying to smooth things over and the husband just shrugs and he's like, I don't care, I'm going to go golf. See, okay, this is the thing. I Okay, I totally believe, like, because this is a high, such a high-end hotel, I totally believe all of that has really happened. And, like, it just, you know, I totally believe it. I read this book, uh, Hotel Babylon, which is written by a reporter and an anonymous person about the anonymous person's experience in a high-end hotel. And, like, they just did shit. You know, they just did whatever. It's, it was terrible and horrifying. So I totally believe that, you know, this beauty salon has some backdoor prostitution and also that a lot of the visitors were, you know, like, well, we're all just having sex whenever we want, you know? I mean, that's one thing I appreciate about Starsky and Hutch is that they occasionally go out of their way to sort of I don't know if it's subverting stereotypes about the people who are into various things or if it's just sort of making a, a visual joke, but I'm reminded of the pilot episode where Starsky and Hutch meet Huggy at a porno to learn some information and there's a like a grandmother-looking woman sitting right behind Starsky and at one point Starsky does a double take when he notices her and then she's just, like, avidly watching the porno and, like, takes out a thermos and starts drinking <laughs> from it. I think Starsky and Hutch does quite a few little jokes like that that are fun. And I do love how willing they are to just, like, have sex as part of an undercover thing. Like, we do see a few episodes where there's, like, a female cop working vice where clearly she would have to be soliciting, but... They don't tend to be actually, like, sleeping with these guys, whereas Thirsky and Hutch are just, like, whoring themselves out all over the place. And I just love that 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 one husband and wife, it's clearly, like, the deal is that he gets to golf and she gets to bang the gay hairdressers. Like, that's just part of how their marriage works. It's beautiful. And, like, you know, at least they didn't appear to be asked to do something that they wouldn't want to do. There's no, like... Yeah, when when they do things undercover, it always appears to be their choice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Considering that dandruff is so polarizing, I thought we could talk a little bit about an episode we didn't care for, or even if we liked it, an episode that we would rank near the bottom were we to rank our favorite Starsky and Hutch episodes. Before we get into that, I just wanted to mention... The lowest averages on IMDb, what episodes uh, were rated the lowest on average. So in order, from first to fourth worst, Ballad for a Blue Lady came in at 5.9 stars. Next was Huggy and the Turkey at 6.2. Golden Age has... Golden Age? (laughs) This is not comics. Golden Angel has an average of 6.5, and the only other episode that has an average of under seven stars is Huggy Can't Go Home at 6.9. So that's sort of, like, I'm taking that as sort of the fanish, at least of IMDb users, and, you know, they all have at least 40 votes. Sort of the fanish average. 
So Jen, do you want to start with yours? Sure. I have not seen all the episodes of the show, and I feel like Monica and Rachel have probably saved me from some of the worst ones. So of the ones I've seen, the one that stands out to me is Nightmare. I think there are some good scenes in it, but I also feel like, number one, it's just so... So disturbing. I know they're often dealing with murder and they're they're often dealing with um, terrible things happening to people, but I feel like the sexual assault of a developmentally disabled child is several steps worse than a lot of what they deal with. And the rhetoric around disability, the idea that she's a perfect child because she'll always act like a child is problematic and not great. And while I really like the idea of Starsky and Hutch having a connection to people in the community and wanting to celebrate this little girl's birthday, I feel like this is not an episode that I would revisit because it's so disturbing and because there are parts of it that I just find upsetting. And I realized it was the 70s and, and it, you know, discussions of disability were different then, but it's definitely not one that I would voluntarily revisit. That is fair. I admit I really love the opening and the ending to that episode, but there's a lot of stuff in the middle that I don't care to rewatch either. Rachel, you famously love everything. I'm curious to hear what you would rank near the bottom. Okay. So I totally would watch this episode again. It might not be my first choice. And in fact, funnily enough, it is the other episode that starts out exactly the same as Nightmare. (laughs) Yes, this is the crying child I'm talking about. And similarly to Jen, it's just because the material is so heavy for me personally. Um, I don't work directly with children, but I do work around children. And so it was quite affecting for me, uh, stories about child abuse. I thought they did it really well. I, I was not expecting much because the only other child abuse episode of a TV show around the same era had been The Incredible Hulk, which was total and complete garbage. I hate to say it, you know, because I love The Incredible Hulk, but that is one episode that I'm, you know, just skip it. If you ever watch that show, just just skip the child abuse episode. Back to The Crying Child. I think they did some things that were really great and I really loved many parts of it. And it was really interesting from like a perspective, from a historical perspective, because now, at least in our state, there's mandatory reporting and there's protection for those who report child abuse. Whereas in the episode, the teacher fears for her job because there weren't those protections in place. So while I really like that they both subvert assumptions people have about child abuse and also sort of address the struggles you have, uh, both from a police perspective and from a teacher's perspective to, to deal with that, it is kind of a hard episode for me to watch in that respect. But as I said, I would still enjoy watching it because I do think it's done pretty well, like much better than I expected it to be. So, so yeah, I mean, I still like the episode a lot, actually. But if I had to pick an episode that I'm like, mm, I could probably skip it now and then, you know, I might not necessarily watch it on a rewatch, uh, full, you know, unless I was doing a full rewatch or just, you know, watching it with you guys because you guys wanted to see it. 
I might skip the crying child now and then. Okay, and I'm going on somewhat of a different track because this episode that I rank at the bottom, it's not because of the topic. It's Ballad for a Blue Lady, and that's actually the lowest ranked one on IMDb. And to be fair, I haven't actually seen Golden Angel, and it's been years since I've seen Huggy and the Cherokee, and I barely remember it. But Ballad for a Blue Lady, I want to just say the plot's fine. I like that Hutch is just making bad decision after bad decision, and Starsky clearly sees it all and is like, Hutch, please stop, and Hutch doesn't stop. That seems correct. And I like Marianne. I like her attitude. I like how angry she is. Um, It's just the dialogue feels very... I don't know if stilted is quite quite the right word, but it feels like everyone is saying strange, bizarre things, and I'm not sure why they're saying them. It, it feels like the dialogue is sort of like kind of strange dream dialogue. I don't even know. So, and also there's, I think, a long scene that's just singing, which is fine. But yeah, that's an episode that I probably won't watch again anytime soon. See, that is funny because I highly enjoy that episode. I mean, I really enjoyed it. I really... I really enjoy Huggy and the Turkey. <laughs> I think Golden Angel is real fun. I have not seen Huggy Can't Go Home yet because it's one of the last four episodes I need to see, the other being Targets Without a Badge. I'm going to go out on a limb. You'll probably like it. Yeah, I totally <laughs> expect you. I mean, a Huggy-centric episode, of course. Um, but yeah, like, I really liked In Ballad of the Blue Lady, like, that they do totally just, like, talk past one another all the time. I just really enjoyed that it did feel kind of experimental and different. And I loved just like this, like, I loved Hutch's persona of this guy who was flirting with Marianne. And Marianne? Marianne? Marianne. Marianne. This guy flirting with um, Marianne. And, like, the scene where they run away from her keepers, like, Monica points out that they do ditch the music, which is, you know, pretty expensive stuff, and that was, I agree with her that that's pretty terrible, but I love the idea of, like, these young lovers, like, well, not so young, but, you know, trying to capture youth and, like, running away from the guy so that they can have, like, a romantic moment alone. Like, I just really love, like, that setup, and of course, you know, Hutch is an undercover cop and, you know, needs her for all this stuff, but... I just really enjoyed, and I really enjoyed the siblings' relationship, and, you know, I I was really glad that, like, the brother died. I, I enjoyed that, you know, I enjoyed watching that happen, and, yeah, the brother dies, right? Yeah. Okay, thank you. Overall, would you say you prefer more lighthearted episodes, more straight-up adventure, or do you prefer some of the darker episodes, either sort of the issue episodes or the episodes with intense uh, danger for our guys? You know, it's really hard for me to say. I think, on the whole, I like the episodes that are a bit darker, but that could just be because you've showed me more of them. But, like, you know, I, I like... Basically... My two episodes that I've watched the most and that I enjoy the most, I don't know if I'd necessarily say they're my two favorites, because I haven't done a comprehensive analysis, but 
the two that pop into my head first are Death in a Different Place and Tap Dancing. And those are really those two ends of, of the spectrum. Death in a Different Place is a very serious episode and a very much an issue-focused episode, and I love it. And I love shows that explore social issues, especially when I'm watching it in a historical context and trying to understand how popular media was working through um, certain societal shifts and issues at the time. But tap dancing and its undercover disguises and Ramon and the dip at the end. Like, I just, I love that episode so much. And it's one of the more lighthearted. I mean, yes, there was a murder, right? That's how it started. Her brother was killed. You never see it, though. Right, but so, like, yes, it's still, there's still a reason homicide detectives are involved, unlike the, why were they involved in the dandruff one? Jewel thieves. That's gotta be a different division. I, I feel like Huggy and I. I feel like Dobie at one point did say why they were involved. I just don't remember what the reason was. <laughs> well, anyway, so I think uh, tap dancing obviously is not as silly as dandruff, but it is on the sillier side of things, and I love it. So I guess I don't. I don't have an answer. I like both, and it depends on how well each is executed. Rachel. All right. From okay. So my absolute two favorite episodes are Jillian and Hutchinson Murder One. And those are both very serious, very emotional, and both Superman painting episodes. But again, like the, the sillier episodes are really really fun. Um I do I think the issue episodes are are done super well. Um they might not necessarily be you know, as as a whole, they might not necessarily be the ones I go for. Uh, so so perhaps those, if you know, if I have to pick, perhaps those are on the bottom of the ladder for me. But I do, I love them all. Like that's what makes Starsky and Hutch for me is that it is such a range where you're, you know, you're getting in one episode, Starsky will be dying and it'll be super emotional and they'll be hugging and like holding hands and it'll be just so sweet and just sad and everything. And then you'll have episodes where they're just like flirting all the time, both with each other and with other people. And it's just like a good, a good yarn. And it's, it's really fun. And then there's the ones where they try to address society's ills, but can't because, you know, they can't. So, really, it's just because, like, it is a whole package, you know? Like, that's, that's Thirsky and Hutch. You can't take out one of those things and, like, still have it be the show that I love. Yeah, that's valid. And I guess I feel the same way as both you and Jen, that I like the mix. It's nice to see the darker episodes in context of the lighter episodes. Most of my top episodes are the ones where bad things happen to Hutch. But I certainly love tap dancing. I certainly love some of the more straight-up adventure episodes. Not necessarily lighthearted, but, like, Death Ride is one that I really appreciate. So I I will have to say both also. I had an English teacher who used to say that narrative, and she was specifically talking about the novels and stories that we were reading, but she would say that it, narrative was always going to be a roller coaster. That if you felt like 
the characters were doing really well, really happy, something was going to come and send them down. But if they were down at the bottom, something was probably going to come and bring them up again. And obviously, like any sort of uh, statement about media and storytelling and narrative as a whole, that's not going to be true for everything. But I do think that stories can be at their best when they're balancing the highs and the lows. Um, and I think because Starsky and Hutch is not serialized, because it's episodic, part of how you do that is balancing out the funny, lighthearted episodes with the more serious things. So you're not relentlessly grim, but you're also not um, being too lighthearted about a serious topic, especially because it is an hour-long drama and not a, a sitcom. It's a dramedy. <laughs> oh god, I hate that word. <laughs> but all my favorite shows are it. All my favorite shows are dramedies, but I, I hate that word. Wreck mm. Corner? I believe so. Now, okay, I haven't read anything recently, but, Monica, your opening question reminded me of something. Quite a while ago, and I haven't edited it, but quite a while ago, I actually recorded this as a podfic, and I really should get around to finishing it up, but it was the first thing I recorded, so I'm a little unsure about their voices. Anyway, that has nothing to do with this. <laughs> the opening question, Monica, you were talking about, you know, this sort of, you know, wanting sort of a sci-fi, sort of post-apocalyptic thing, and while this isn't, like, exactly that, I mean, it definitely has tones to that, but it also is all angst, no comfort, so it's not exactly your jam, because I know you need that comfort in there. I do. But if you are looking for an angst, no comfort story that is very sci-fi, I would have to recommend Turing Test by Kuonji, and it also has a sequel that's sort of like a missing scene sort of thing. Are that robots? Hutch is a robot. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> and he fails the Turing, Turing Test. Uh, so he is now in jail for impersonating a human because uh, Turing's, as they call the robots, who were created as, like, test subjects and now have, like, you know, they're basically, like, a persecuted class. Mm -hmm. So he's been caught and Starsky feels betrayed because his father was killed by Turing's mm. and he saw this happen and he entrusted this knowledge to Hutch and all this time Hutch has secretly been a robot himself and not told Starsky obviously so like oh no and Hutch is just like he he is he knows what's going to happen to him he know he knows he is going to be tortured and experimented on and so he riles Starsky up to try to get him to kill him oh god it is an amazing story I love it uh, the sequel, Turing Machine, is where Starsky tells Hutch about the death of his father, and it actually is set during the Monopoly scene uh, in the Terry episode. Oh. And it's just... So, you know, that one that was less sad, because that doesn't end with Hutch wanting to die, obviously. So if you want to just read... But it's not a fix-it, either. No, it's not a fix-it. But if you just want to read that as, like, a Hutch is conflicted because he wants to tell Starsky, but he can't. Mm -hmm. You know, because of what Starsky tells him. Like, if, if, you're, if you're, like, looking for still angsty, but not, like, so angsty that a character wants to die, maybe just read Turing Machine. But, like, I really enjoy it. Like, it, 
very, like, you know, they're very short, but it has just, like, these great sci-fi elements, like, conceptually, I just think it's so cool, and I, I really wish there was more of this verse, but unfortunately there isn't. Aw, does Hutch have a soul? I mean... <laughs> stop trying to make soul puns. <laughs> I'm never going to stop making soul puns, and this is relevant because he's a robot. That is a relevant question to ask. You'll just have to read it and see. Okay. Well, he at least has a David soul. That's what matters. I'm going to keep doing it just to make Monica mad. I'm going to get kicked out of my home. So, Monica, do you have a rec? I do. So, this is one I just read two days ago. And it's uh, called 18 Wheels and a Hitchhiker by Karen B., um, whose username is KKB Elvis, all smushed together into one name. And the description is Hutch goes undercover as a truck driver to catch hijackers who not only take the driver's load, but also get their kicks with them before taking their lives. And that just means beating up and murdering, in case you are wondering. It is what it says on the tin, this fic. It's pretty straightforward. Uh, Hutch is undercover. At first, he's pretty much digging the the truck driver role he's doing, but he's sick, and his his spirits are are very quickly being worn down. Um, Starsky is sensing this, and they have some back and forth on the CB radio. It's it's interesting because I say it's pretty straightforward, but at the same time, a lot of the language is quite poetic. So it's got some really poetic imagery, and. I mean, as most of the things I wreck, bad things happen to Hutch. And so there's some great hurt comfort there. Starsky is steadfast and, and, you know, always trying to help Hutch. And there's a Chekhov's bug spray in the fic. I don't know what else to say. I just, I quite enjoyed it. I'm glad it's Chekhov's bug spray and not, like, Kafka's. Oh, no. <laughs> that, that would be an interesting story. <laughs> I haven't been reading a ton, but the other night I, at Monica's request, read a fic out loud uh, in our living room because we're cool adult ladies with lives. And it was Remember Him by Molo. And it's it's death fic, um, but it's like old man death fic. Well, old-ish, I guess. I guess if, if Starsky was supposed to have died in 2005, then that's not that old. But anyway... There, it's not a like series um, time period death fic, but it's basically Zosky died and Hutch wrote an autobiography outing them and also like talking about their time in the forest and police corruption and etc. And this rookie reporter is sent to San Francisco to interview Hutch and their feelings. Um, not not between them. It's that I realized that that may have implied that Hutch was gonna start banging this rookie reporter. That does not happen. It's just that uh, he talks about how much he loved Starsky. It's very sweet, but mostly it made me think of the framing narrative of Interview with the Vampire. So now I'm imagining that Hutch is the vampire Lestat telling his life story to this random reporter and. That's sending my brain in all kinds of places, even though Hutch and Lestat have only blonde hair in common. I'm pretty sure they have nothing else in common. And honestly, 
Hutch is a total Louis. Um, like, oh no, everything's terrible. I'm a vampire now. Like, if anyone was going to be more enthusiastic, it would be Starsky. So it doesn't really work as an AU, but it, it made me smile. So vampire, that's, that's another uh, genre that I would flip them into. Perhaps in a future episode, we should talk more about alternate universes or AUs. I like it. We should definitely do I'm that. I'm down. All right. As always, you can find us online at meandtheand3.wordpress.com. You could find us on Twitter at at me the three because Twitter doesn't have enough room for the ands. And you can email us on Gmail at meandtheand3 at gmail.com. Remember that three is always spelled out, as is the word and. Except for the Twitter. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Bye! Bye! Bye. Comic from a f- old fanzine. What does the um, thing say? Bottoms up is a drinking toast, Starsk. <laughs> They're all looking at you. Jesus. <laughs>